Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our longtime friend and member, Scotty Miser. And, uh, now for the reading of God's word, we turn to uh, Romans, Romans 15, 14 to 33. Paul writes, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in full measure of the blessing of Christ. And I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company, be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So about a year ago, I found myself in a conversation with a close friend. And uh, this friend was asking me, whether or not Christians should still read a certain Christian author. 
the author, he hadn't done anything. There was no scandal, but he had said some things that had ruffled some feathers within Christian circles, things that made people worry about his beliefs. And he even went back on the statement later. So regardless of what side you were on on the issue, you could find room to be offended. And many people did. I didn't know what to say in this conversation. This was a person I looked up to and I felt uncomfortable because I probably felt that I, I disagreed with them on this issue. So the only thing I could think to say about this author, about this situation, the only thing I heard come out of my mouth was, it's a big family. As we've read this letter, I hope we've all picked up on this theme in Romans of Paul helping this congregation come together over what divides them, over different nationalities, different convictions within this congregation. But now that he's wrapping up, and Gary's gonna wrap it up fully for us later, he's going to remind this congregation of the fact that they're not the only one. He's gonna remind them that they exist as part of a larger family of congregations. Here in Paul's travels, he's going to remind them that they're not the only church. So if you take nothing else, I'd like you to take that idea with you, that idea that it's a big family. The family of God is a big family. Amen? Okay, so that said, I want to kind of drop us into the deep end and stretch our imaginations for what we think the family of God is like. Gary gave us a great tour de force of Christian criminals through history. I want to continue that theme a bit more broadly. Just here are some Christians who are different than me. I want to start, so first, family helps by learning. Paul begins this saying, I'm convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I'm talking about Christians that are different than us, because if we believe we can instruct one another, and that must, we must believe that we have different knowledge, and we have different experiences that we can't have on our own. So with that, I invite you to take a little tour with me, the Christians who are different than me. This is one of my favorites. Her name is St. Christina the Astonishing. Uh, some of you may have heard me talk about her. She was born in 1150, and she claimed to be able to smell the sins on other people's souls. To avoid this stench, she was known to climb trees. She was known to hide in ovens. And one story even tells the story of her floating up to the rafters, as you see here, to avoid the stench of iniquity. She is the patron saint of people with mental illness. She's the patron saint of mental health workers. And she's also the patron saint of millers because one time she let herself float down the river and she got caught in a mill wheel. But by God's grace, she was not harmed. St. Christina the Astonishing, everyone. 
So, all right, maybe that's a little too ancient, a little too weird. Let's move into people who are living, Christians who are different than me. Number two, Jean Luen Yang. Jean Luen Yang is a Chinese-American Catholic comic book artist. Uh, when he read about the Boxer Rebellion between Chinese nationalists and Christian colonizers, he didn't know which side of the story to identify with. So he wrote a graphic novel sympathizing with both. He wrote a graphic novel sympathizing both with Chinese nationalists and Christian colonizers, uh, giving both of them visions, either of Chinese emperors or of Joan of Arc, as it were. This is Jean Luen Yang. He's alive today, and he's a Christian who is different than me. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so maybe that's all just, maybe you guys are tempted to say, well, that's just Catholic stuff, Scotty. Catholics are weird. What are you going to do? All right, let's talk about Lizzo. Do you guys know Lizzo? A few of you? No, Gary doesn't. We'll listen to it at the house, Gary. Uh, <laughs> this is modern singer, rapper, songwriter, and flautist Lizzo. Uh, she grew up evangelical. And... She doesn't speak of it, that upbringing, with full contempt. I can't say exactly what her spiritual life is like, but she seems to speak of it with a lot of fondness. In an interview with Terry Gross, she talked about how almost everyone in her church was literally related by blood or by marriage. It was a family church in the literal sense of the word. Everyone was everyone else's cousin. And she said the most fascinating thing at the end of the interview she said, and I carry that congregation with me wherever I go. That church is not the building. And I really wanted her to talk more about that, but the interview had ended because they'd spent the whole time talking about her music career or something. This is Lizzo. She is a Christian who is different from me. So these three, these three belong to the same family, St. Christina the Astonishing, Jean Luen Yang, and Lizzo. I probably wouldn't place them in the same congregation, but they belong to the same family. When you think of the Christian family, do you imagine something like this? Do you imagine a table filled with people who have nothing in common but Jesus. Because that's what I think Paul is pushing us to imagine. Imagine a table where the people have nothing in common but Jesus. Not just people who think like me, not just people who have the same experiences as me, but we come together on this. If we go to the next slide, uh, I have um, this one quote from Shane Claiborne that really, uh, I don't know, really moved me. I couldn't find the exact quote, but he says something like, the most reliable sign that we've had an authentic worship experience is that we come away from it saying, that wasn't for me. Because if it wasn't for us, then that means it must have been for somebody. And that means the family of God is larger than what we're comfortable with. 
or what we can relate to. That's probably what I would say about any of these individuals' church experience. I've never really been to mass, but there's likely a lot I wouldn't relate to it. And from Lizzo's descriptions of her congregation, like incredibly loud music, incredibly charismatic worship displays, I probably would not be able to fit in. I'd probably be uncomfortable. I'd almost certainly walk away saying, that wasn't for me. But isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful that it doesn't have to be. Family helps family by learning. When we learn from one another's experiences, when we learn from one another, period, we're reminded that we're part of a big, big family. It's a big family, amen? Let's go to the next slide here. Family helps family by giving. Let's look back at the scripture here. Paul gives a little, uh, a, a, a snippet of his tour. He says to the church in Rome, I hope to see you while passing through Spain and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Family helps family by giving. Each according to their ability and to each according to their need. I'll say that again. We give each according to our ability and to each according to their need. One thing I really like about this passage is that we talk about offering this way. We talk about offering in terms of material blessings and spiritual blessings, blessings of time, blessings of whatever resources we've been given. And the fact that within this congregation, Jews and Gentiles were not getting along, I like to believe that Paul was maybe pressing just a little bit of a guilt trip by pointing to the other cousins in the family, saying like, look what these guys are doing. Look at these Gentiles giving to the poor among the Jerusalem congregation. We talk a lot about caring in our community and caring locally within our congregation. And I think that's immensely valuable. But this isn't the only part of the family. I'm humbled as I, as I think about the food donation that came from Paoli Presbyterian. We still have cans of beans. And, you know, I, raise your hand if you've met anyone other than Gary from Paoli Press. Yeah, 
Exactly. You know what? They didn't have to help us. And if they were going solely based on relationship to each of us and relating to each of us individually, they wouldn't have. But we're family. And family helps family by giving what we have, each according to our ability to each according to their need. One last point I want to make here is that family helps family by praying. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. We speak about prayer pretty flippantly, I think. I think we say, I'll pray for you, maybe a little too quickly. I think we offer thoughts and prayers without offering thoughts and prayers. But Paul isn't speaking of prayer lightly. He's not talking about a like, well, if you can't do anything else, like if you can't partner in me with me monetarily, at least pray. I mean, always, always do something, right? Paul's talking about prayer as a form of joining in his struggle. Do you guys give yourself that credit when you pray for others? If you pray for others, do you think this is an exercise in which I join with you? I'm not just thinking of your sufferings out there. To a certain extent, I'm making them my own. I'm calling you family. So I would encourage you as you, as you pray for other believers, don't just pray for the missionaries you know personally. Pray for the churches they're starting. Pray for the faces you've never seen and will never see. Pray for the people you will never meet this side of the Jordan. Look on the tag of your shirt and find the country it was made in and pray for the Christians there. Just one more thought and I'll, I'll get to the good news here. Thinking of the family of God as such a large family, it doesn't do away with the difficulty. In fact, I think it helps us to double down when things get difficult. Because every family, I don't know, every family has an uncle that makes you uncomfortable. Every family has that Aunt Betty who just talks a little bit too loud. Or maybe has some views that make you cringe. And you might not feel comfortable around her. You might not always want to be in the same room as her. But do you say she's not family? So what's the good news here? The good news is that this family, as we can see from the Gentiles being brought into this Jewish sect called Christianity, this family is an open invitation. 
it doesn't just stop with Christians caring for Christians. It doesn't just stop with Christians praying for Christians or learning about other Christians. As Paul's travels tell us, it goes outward. The door is open on this family. And as such, I think we should be mindful of how we treat one another. I've heard it described um, by another preacher in this way. If you think of the family of God as a family literally just in their kitchen, going about their business, think of the world as someone on the outside with their fingers and their eyes up against the glass. Think of the world as someone looking in. If, if everyone in that family is divided, if everyone in that family is bickering and fighting with each other, do you think that person on the outside is gonna say, gosh, I hope I get let in? But if the person sees people together who they would never expect to see together, if that person sees people together who seem to have nothing in common in terms of age, in terms of socioeconomic status, in terms of gender, if that person looks in and sees all different types of peoples and tribes and tongues represented and all treating each other like family, I would argue they're gonna want in. You can tell me I'm naive, you can tell me I'm wrong, but I would argue that if we build a family culture that recognizes the largeness, that learns from each other, that gives to one another, and that prays for one another, I'll argue that is going to be an invitation that the world will want in on. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.